podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host, Leanne Prescott, and joining me as usual is Tom. Tom, how are you? I am good, thanks, Leanne. How are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, off the back of Liverpool's win against PSG, so nice and positive. I'm beaten in the league, um, so all is looking very, very good for Liverpool fans right now. And joining us today is Stephen. Stephen, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How can you not be after Bobby Firmino switches the uh, no-look finish for the one I finish? <laughs> Love that. <laughs> exactly as you said there. How can you not be in a good mood as a Liverpool fan right now? Everything seems to be looking up. Everything's going our way, and long may it continue ahead of a crucial couple of weeks. Um, so we're going to talk today about Bobby Firmino. Um, and Stephen's written a really good article about the Brazilian and, and whether he's redefined the centre forward position for Liverpool since Jurgen Klopp has taken charge. Um, you know, you, you talk through his slow start, Stephen. Do you want to uh, give us a rundown of your article and your thoughts on Firmino as a Yeah, I'll just, at the start of the season, I've been watching his games and we all know he came back from the World Cup a little bit tired and probably came earlier than we thought. But it it feels like he's he's taken what he's learnt over the first sort of, what, two and a half seasons under Klopp and he's redefining the game again. Um, you know, we all know he came in as an attacking midfielder Klopp chucked him up front straight away and you know his impact was evident from how the team played pretty quickly. And you know for 18 months we really saw Phil Coutinho just hitting in most ph- phenomenal form playing alongside him. We saw Mane come into the team, have a cracking start to his career at Liverpool, evolved his game once again, you know, 27 goals. He's now our what's it, top goal scorer and top goal contributor in the Champions League. Um he is really, you know, proving to be a player who evolves constantly. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's um, a really, really good article and a perfect summation of Bobby Firmino. Um, just to kick us off, we'll, we'll sort of talk through how we started and from day one with Jurgen Klopp, how Klopp initially, you know, when he when he comes in, he seems to really take Firmino's game to, to the next level anyway, because... Rogers was utilising Firmino in a, in a more wide role where he was kind of on the periphery of things. Klopp comes in and he he kind of, I don't know whether it's because Klopp and his philosophy automatically suits Firmino, but there was something there already from the start, wasn't there, Tom, that just made things click a little bit better than they were under Rogers. I mean, you could see straight away that Man City game, um, the 4-1 win early in Klopp's reign. It was just, it was as if someone had flicked a switch in Bobby Firmino. Um up until that point, uh, you know, Brodie had been playing in that position. He was struggling to adapt to the Premier League. He, I mean, you know, and you, even players of Firmino's quality take time to adapt to a new league, a new system. Um, but once, it was almost immediate. As soon as, soon as he played in that false role, false nine role under Klopp, he just, you know, he just completely took Man City apart. And this was a decent Man City side at the time. And then he's just not stopped since. You know, he turned in some really strong performances that first season, but there were kind of glimpses of it. And I think everyone was kind of expecting him to sort of sit in behind Daniel Sturridge. And then 16, 17, he just took things to another level. Um, his pressing's obviously such a vital part of this team. But, you know, I think the last 12 months or so, we really started to see what it is about Roberto Firmino that's so special. Um, the fact that he does every single facet of the game so brilliantly for this team and how he's more than just a goal scorer. And I think, I think, the um the fact that we've bought a player of Mo Salah's quality has allowed Firmino to shine a bit more because I got the impression, especially in 17, 18, not uh, 16, 17, sorry, that um Firmino was maybe struggling with the burden of being the number of being the number nine because at that at that point Coutinho was dropping a bit deeper, not really playing as the sort of the the Mane role, and with Mane missing a few games through injury, we, we were very reliant on Firmino for long periods of that season to score goals, and that's definitely not his area let's not say he's not a good goal scorer but you know he's not the sort of player you'd be wanting to go okay Bobby we need a goal now do a goal now um whereas last season obviously with uh, Salah in particular coming in and taking that goal scoring burden off Bobby it's really freed him up to just play his natural game without the pressure of having to score goals 
which is I think massively helps him, and it obviously helps having Mane on the other side as well. Um, yeah, I think one of the things I've wanted to see from Firmino over the last 12 months was I wanted to see him become less a player who could only play well when the team was playing well and more a player who could do things when things were going badly. And increasingly over the last 12 months or so, he's become a player who is not just multifaceted, but is capable of doing everything in every situation. And he's become such an integral player in this side. I, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of Bobby Firmino. I think he started this season brilliantly and I really can't wait to see how he improves over the next 12 months. I mean, if you yeah, look at the game on like Tuesday night, that's exactly what you said. He's gone from the player who would maybe score your second goal if you're winning to being the man who steps up when we've almost thrown away three points with two nil, you know, advantage and slots in cool, calm, collected, cuts inside and puts it in the bottom corner. Now, that isn't the Firmino who started up front for us a couple of years ago. That's who he's become. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really, really good point. And also the point about how Firmino is much more than goal scorer, because even when he came on, albeit a brief performance in many ways, he came on, he was there, he was setting the tempo with his press, defensively contributing again. Um, and and all round, his all-round game has improved so much under Jurgen Klopp, and he has taken that step up. You're completely right, Tom. It's like a switch has gone and and he's now got a manager who is utilising him in the right way, who's playing to his strengths, and he suits the system perfectly. I don't think there's another number nine who could come into Liverpool and suit it better. Um, Stephen, you, a really, really interesting point that I've picked out from your article is that you talk about how his transition to false nine also helped the integration of Sadio Mane and, and other players who look at Mo Salah as well. So talk us through that and how... Maybe is it his tempo and his non-stop running, his pressing, his creative spark as well, and his ability to to have an eye for a pass, not just in terms of creating chances, but all-round build-up play as well that's really helped the likes of Mane and Salah and brought the best out of them as well? Yeah, I think it's really a combination of what he does on the ball and off the ball. He's not a, uh, he's not an attacking player who demands the ball at his feet. He's not a Neymar who wants to beat 10 men. He's not someone who wants to pick the ball up and always shoot. He gets the ball, he keeps it moving. He drops deep, he creates space. And one of the things that was so fascinating to watch when he first dropped into false nine, having put up with the likes of Benteke and Origi up front for a while, was that when he started popping in that space between the, the you know opposition DM and centre forwards, no one really knew who to mark him. So as soon as a centre back would step out of position, that for Sadio Mane, that left a gaping hole for him to run into last season and coming up from the right really suited him at the time. You know, when your defensive midfielder midfielder got pulled out of position, that's when Coutinho was cutting in and was scoring, you know, right foot twenty yarder after you know, goal after goal, it became his like signature move. It was like a reverse Robin almost. And I think that that's what he does to other players around him without the ball at his feet is a huge part. But also the fact he doesn't demand the ball off them. He does so much off the ball that other players can benefit from it. And I think, you know, as soon as, as soon as Salah's come into the team, that's really helped him because Salah, not only does he create space himself because opposition players have become so terrified of him, but he can really, really exploit that face because he's got a great touch. He's ridiculously quick. And he gets a, he gets a little bit of space. You know, last season he was unbelievable in front of goal. And a lot of that is just because Firmino is able to move the players around, create spaces. And as soon as he gets on the ball, he's so unpredictable. Tom, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you agree? And is it that sort of, I, I guess our front three as a whole, they're very unpredictable and therefore very hard to defend against because you have got, not just Firmino's defensive contribution, his movement and that interchangeable uh, positioning between Salah and Mane as well. Salah pops up in the middle sometimes, Mane pops up in the middle, Firmino can go out wide, he's perfectly capable of doing that. And so that makes it kind of a nightmare for um, for defensive for defensive players. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was something that was picked up on commentary from the PSG game and it was something that was immediately obvious when Firmino came on the pitch. Um, the rotation amongst the front three was just, it, it, it seemed to almost triple once Firmino came on the pitch. Not not that Sturridge was necessarily doing anything to hinder that. It just seemed like when Firmino came on the pitch, there was so much more fluidity to our front three. I think almost part of that is the fact that Firmino in particular has got such a free role. Um, he's obviously 
the fact that he is a number 10 by trait more than a number nine is what's so important to his role in this Klopp side because, um, you know, he he's he understands the role of a number 10 so effectively. So he's able to link the play really well from midfield. He's able to do the defensive work that you would expect from a number 10 that you maybe wouldn't expect from a, from a number nine. Um, and the fact that he he's almost playing like a number 10 at the moment, we're almost playing a diamond at times. But the, the key to this is that both the fullbacks and the wide midfielders are able to generate that width, which allows both Mane and Salah to cut inside. So as a, this has been a point that's been made elsewhere, but as I say we're almost playing that diamond, which allows, as I say, when you've got Robertson and Trent, who can hold the width, when you've got James Milner, who can hold the width. What that means is that you can end up in a situation where you can have um, Firmino, Mane and Salah all playing within about 10, 15 yards of each other. But the team can still have the gen, the natural width and the overloads and the half spaces to overwhelm teams. And the, the ability to give Firmino that free role means that he basically has that license to, when Liverpool have got the ball, go wherever wherever he feels he's most likely to influence the play or go wherever he or generate space for others, as you say. Um, so for me, his role in the side has very much peaked. And I think, I think, as I say, a lot of this is down to Firmino being freed up. And I think part of it is replacing Coutinho with, with Mo Salah in many respects, because in that front three. Because you knew what for me what Coutinho was going to do when he got the ball, he would always cut inside. He'd go for that shot. He wouldn't necessarily use the width that was on option. One of those question marks that over Andy Robertson in those early weeks was that Coutinho never seemed to pass to him. Um, so whereas Mane and Salah are more direct, they're faster players, which allows them to play almost as um, those those strikers. Maybe if you consider it that when. Liverpool do play that 4-4-2 that allows Firmino to drop deeper because in many respects Firmino and Coutinho would kind of dominate and fill the same half spaces which would be an issue whereas Mane and Salah are entirely different types of player to Firmino which allows them to do different things and really really adds a nice balance to the attack and that's maybe why it hasn't worked quite as well both for Firmino and for the others when we've had to make changes to that front line because I think those front three are so in tune Um, but equally I think, yeah, I think Bobby Firmino is such an important part of this team. And like you say, the fact that he's so unique is what really is his greatest strength in many respects. And the fact that Klopp has been able to integrate the team so perfectly around him. I do think like the comparison of the fact he used to be at number 10 and people who people often say that, you know, he is a number 10 by trait. I don't really think he is. He puts himself in the positions that a number 10 would be in, but he doesn't have the sort of selfishness of wanting the ball. When he's in those positions, he's almost acting as Simon Brunch would say, as a defensive midfielder. He's got like a mascherano about him where he's attacking defensive midfielders and centre backs and fullbacks trying to win the ball back. But when we've got the ball, he's either looking to move it to someone else as quickly as possible or he's looking to get into a sensible position. I think he has a really unique way of playing that role that isn't a number 10 it isn't number nine i think it's a a completely different sort of mindset to your your stereotypical number 10 player and he's and we know he's not your stereotypical striker he's he's not a harry kane or a daniel sturridge but at the same time he's equally as magical as either of those can be the goals he picks up for us um what i would say is i wouldn't say he's necessarily a number 10 out and out what i'm what i'm sort of saying is that he brings the skill set and the sort of the nous of being of having a number 10 and playing a lot of his career in that number 10 role to the number nine. So he can, as you say, he's very much a, a fusion of the two. So he's uh, a number 10 who's been played in the number nine position, but has adapted so quickly and built his built himself around being a number nine so effectively that he's still got so many of those key traits. I mean, you look at Firmino's goals up until this point in the season, you've got headers off corners. You've got that lovely, lovely goal that he scored um, last night. But then, of course, you look at, for example, the one against Spurs. That's that's number nine centre forward play at its very, very best. You know, he's got a tap in from a yard. That's the you know what you'd want from number nine. A- absolutely. But equally, as I say, he's got that. He at the moment he's almost playing like a number ten who's very much getting into the box and being very dominant in in the number nine role as well. I agree with you to the extent that I don't think he's necessarily a player who wants the ball all the time. He's not really a playmaker in the traditional sense. So to that extent, I would definitely agree that he's not necessarily an out-and-out 10. But I, I think a lot of his skill set and a lot of his trait is built around this this, this fusion of the 9 and 10. And with, with that much, I very much disagree. I very much agree with you, sorry. And I totally get what, what you're saying. I completely agree. He's very much become this sort of this sort of brand-new player. And he's maybe one of those players that, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, we are looking at as being so unique that they almost started a trend. Not necessarily in having the quality of some of the players that have been trendsetters in the past, but certainly the sort of almost a throwback to the likes of Bergkamp, who 
um, was able to sort of occupy that number 10 role and that number 9 role simultaneously, but in a completely different and very, very modern way. But I think what makes him so special is that there are games where he doesn't play that number 10 role at all. Um, against Spurs, he was an out-and-out striker most of the game. That's how he got the goal. It was the typical poacher's goal, something Fowler would have been proud of. But whereas against West Ham and Brighton, he definitely was dropping deeper and he was definitely letting Salah and Mane take on those roles of being the furthest players at the pitch. So I think, you know, game from game, we'll see a different side of him now because he very much knows how to play that false nine type player in the 10 hole. But I think he's also mastered to a certain extent when he needs to be that out and out striker who's playing on the front foot and looking for tappings. And I think, you know, when he came on against PSG, they didn't really know where to look for him because he could pop up in either of those positions now. I think it's I think it's really interesting though because in some ways Firmino has kind of adapted to become more of a natural number nine. Um, of course, he's not a, a Harry Kane type player, but he has come up with uh, 27 goals last season and he's added that ruthlessness to his game. Where before in his first few seasons, I think he was hitting something like 11, 12 goals. So he's he's not just adding a lot more in terms of defensive contribution, movement, creativity, which we've touched on, but he's actually upping his all round. Um, goals as well so as you say in the article there can be no debate now whether he is a striker or not and whether Liverpool need a 30 goal striker or not because they've got Firmino and um, I think last night again was proof of the fact he's become one of the main men in terms of getting goals getting important goals for this side Um, and then of course your article goes into where does he go from here so looking ahead I think one point I want to touch on is how indispensable is Firmino to this setup? Is he arguably Liverpool's most important player, Stephen? Yeah, I think he's the most important player, but I don't think he's the best player. I think that's Mo Salah by quite some distance. I mean, that guy's just ridiculous, as he proved last season. But I think he's so, so important because, as you touched on earlier, not only does he pop up in the number 10 position, but he often pops up wide, allowing... Like, for example, last night there was a point where he was playing on the left wing and Mane was in the centre-forward position. You, you'll often see him drift out to the right and Salah goes in the centre-forward position. I think he enables the other players around to play the game that's in front of them and he almost adapts himself to what's happening around them as opposed to the other way around. It's not like Salah's gone, oh, Firmino is out of position, I'm going to get into centre-forward. It's like he's he's seen someone going and he's going to drift across and be ready to either pick up the ball or to try and win it back from a full-back. And I I think he's going to constantly evolve as a player who will just pop up wherever he's needed all the time. And, that, and his intelligence just allows him to do that. And I think as our midfield gets better, I think look at the season Wijnaldum's having. Look at players who've been linked to like Rabiot and Fekir. Look at how Milner's become a, like a, he's, he's, you know, he's like some kind of terminator this season, indestructible. Look how intelligent Cater is. As these more intelligent players who don't need to play a set specific, position on the pitch but they have a role to fill and everyone's able to move around each other I think he'll become more and more dangerous because people won't know where he'll pick up if Cater's bursting into the box he'll drop deeper but then from deeper we know he can chip the ball over a defence and put on the plate for somebody I think he'll just become a more and more unpredictable player as the team around him is getting better and better yeah I completely agree Um, I think he's such an important player in this team Um, I'm maybe not sure he's the most important player in this team, but I absolutely agree that he's uh, very much the sort of the key to the system in many respects. Um, this is something that I've reneged against for quite a while now. I didn't necessarily buy into the idea that the system was uh, all about Roberto Firmino. We've seen, you know, plenty of examples of the other way, but I, I'm now really, I'm now fully on board with that idea because I just think he's such important, so important to the way we play. Um, what I, and I think one thing I do like about him actually is that he's not. He, he shirks many of the things you would expect from a number nine. In, he doesn't always look for the first opportunity to shoot, which is one of the things I like about him. He's not the sort of centre forward where he's going to get uh, high numbers of shots per game. That's never been his style. Um, whereas someone like Sadio Mane, Sadio Mane, but also Mo Salah in particular, they'll always look for the shot um, to try and find a way to, to find the goal. Um, Firmino, you know, he was 2.69 shots per 90 last season compared to Mane 2.83 and Salah 4.36. 
and even even Coutinho, you know, over four shots a game. So, you know, you can see that he's the sort of player that is always looking for the pass rather than the shot. And that's what makes him such an important player in this team, because he doesn't he doesn't think, how can I get a goal here? His first instinct is, how is the team going to get a goal out of this situation? Not necessarily him, but the team. And he's, I think that's the thing. He's very much... He's, in many respects, he's like Dirk Cout in the sense that he's the perfect embodiment of a team player, someone who understands the role of the entire team rather than just looking at it individually. And that's that's why he'll never be, uh, in my opinion, never be an elite goal scorer, because I think to be an elite goal scorer, you need that certain level of selfishness. But I think he's always going to be an important goal scorer and he's always going to contribute really, really importantly to the team. And that's because of the type of player that he is. 27 goals is pretty elite. He's our top goal scorer in the Champions League now. He scored. A, he scored a lot of goals in the Champions League, I'll grant you. But I don't think over the course of this, over the course of the season, he, he's not necessarily elite for that. For the number of games that he played, I would say 15 goals in the 15 goals in a Premier League season is very, very solid. But I wouldn't say it's anywhere close to elite. When you consider that the likes of uh, even Kane, Kane, Salah, they're netting 50 a season. If that's elite numbers, 50 a season in all comps is pretty elite. Uh, I'd say, you know, close to 30 in all competitions is really, really solid. 15 in the league is really, really solid. But I wouldn't say it's elite. I'd say 11 Champions League goals is pretty elite. I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Tom. I'm sorry. 11 Champions League goals is phenomenal. <laughs> That's pretty much Cristiano Ronaldo level. For uh, I think I think when you consider the amount of chances that he would have had in the Champions League as well, given how well we were as an attacking unit in the Champions League, because I, I mean you wouldn't say necessarily that Mane is an elite goal scorer either, and Mane scored that number of goals in the Champions League. Um, even Coutinho, you wouldn't say Coutinho is an elite goal scorer. He would have ended up with that many goals if we if he'd played the entire season with us. Um, so I, I think he's a really good Champions League goal scorer, but. I don't necessarily think he's an elite goal scorer overall because I don't think he's going to consistently score enough goals over the course of a season to sort of nail that sort of top, top level striker bracket. But that's because he contributes other things to his team, other things to his game. That's because he's not the sort of player that's constantly looking for the goals. I, you know, Salah scored over twice as many goals than, than he did in the Premier League. So I, I don't think you can say he's an elite goal scorer, but I don't think he needs to be to fulfill the role that he's playing in the side because he adds so much more. Yeah, but... Salah isn't an elite goal scorer. Salah is a Ballon d'Or level goal scorer. That's that's a, a whole of a level. That's top three to five players in the world. But he doesn't so, score. He hasn't. He doesn't score that many more than most of Europe's top goal, top striking goal scorers. Though you wouldn't say. I wouldn't. I, he's not necess, His goal scoring isn't what made him necessarily a Ballon d'Or winner. If you look at you know across the top five European leagues last season, there would have okay. There was only one or two who scored more than Salah, but there were. You know, there was a lot of players in his vicinity, whereas there were maybe 20 who scored more than Firmino in 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 the in the their their league across the five the five uh, top leagues. Yeah, but as my point is, is what's making him elite is his Champions League goals. You know, people say Edison Cavani, Neymar, Ronaldo, Messi are elite strikers because they consistently can score double figures in the Champions League, and that's what he's done last season. And this season, he's starting off on the right foot again. So I. I think that is that is where he's going. He's becoming an elite centre forward in the biggest club competition in the world. I think the Premier League is different. I think he has a different role in the Premier League. I think his defensive duties are so much more important because the physicality of the league. Whereas in the Champions League, where he's able to have time and space and the, the other players around him have got so much more space, that's where he does pop up with these really, really important goals. And when we are playing someone like Maribor and we want to get a great goal difference, he enjoys helping us tonk those teams. So, but you know, we don't have to agree. I, I was going to say it's it's a pretty it's a pretty minute point to sort of argue over, and I think we very much agree on the sort of the basics of exactly how good um, Bobby Firmino is in general. Um, I, I do take your point. I don't necessarily agree with it um, to the extent that I think we've we've, we've only, we've only really seen him had one season at Champions League level so I suppose we'll we'll see consistently. I don't I don't think he's scored enough goals consistently in his career to be considered an elite goal scorer is is my take but I can understand why you would say, you know, 10 goals in the Champions League is enough to put him in that bracket. Um but I I think overall I think my my what I'm really trying to get at is that when you what Bobby Firmino brings to the table what makes him an elite forward is not is that he's more than just a goal scorer and is that he doesn't prioritize goals that's the thing it's not that he it's not that he doesn't like to score goals he does like to score goals he puts himself in position to score goals but he's not 
a Harry Kane, a Mo Salah. He's not someone whose entire basis in the team and in the system is around scoring goals or around contributing in that exact way. He brings so much more to the table than any other forward. That's what makes him such a unique and elite player. Moving moving on. Um, so looking ahead to the next, say, five games for Liverpool, obviously um, we've done really well to get a result against Spurs and against PSG. Um, next up is Southampton. Then we've got Chelsea in the Cup, Chelsea in the League, Napoli and City. So I think, um, Stephen, you end your article talking about how Firmino potentially adapts his game based on the type of defence he plays because when it's a more physical defence, he's going to drop back a little bit more. And that's not to say he's not dropping back against likes of, um, well, I, I'm sure we, we will see him drop back against the likes of Southampton. Um, but he does kind of tweak his game a little bit. Sometimes he's more in the box. Sometimes he's a little bit deeper and getting involved. We've seen uh, in the opening games, especially in the league, he's dropped off that a little bit more because people like Naby Keita have made runs from deep. So do you expect some kind of adaptation over the next few games in terms of Liverpool obviously have a, a lot of fixtures coming up in quick succession? Firmino probably won't start in the cup game. But aside from that, I, I expect him to start against Southampton, Chelsea, Napoli and City. So City in particular, I think he's probably going to drop off. Napoli, Chelsea, is that going to be one where he's maybe staying further forward? I think against I think against City he'll play a bit further forward because I think he'll do what he did in the Champions League where he'll be targeting Otamendi if he's playing. He'll be trying to get on top of Laporte. He's proven against City's defenders he can cause real trouble. And you know the goal he scored where he picked it up from the right back cuts inside and scores a wonderful goal at the end of the game. I think Chelsea. I think that's an odd one, isn't it? Because we don't really know how Sarri plays, but that might be a game he plays a deeper role because then he can really get at Kante and and Jorginho and cause them trouble when Chelsea are in possession because he's getting at the heels of the people who make their midfield tick. And against Southampton, I think, again, we might see him drop deeper, but for a different reason. Um, You know, Southampton's defence isn't great. If he's dropping deeper, and it means Marlon Salah are overlapping him and they're getting in the the channels around the the centre-backs, I think that's where we'll see goals coming from those two players so I think it's I think even the way he drops deep has different roles in different games sometimes he's dropping deep to be creative and bring other players around him and sometimes he's dropping deep to target opposition players in order to try and help our game so I think I think again I think we'll see a different iteration of him over the next three or four games and Southampton if if they if they give him the space that Mark Hughes teams have got the potential of doing he could be really, really dangerous in that little hole if no one's picking him up, spraying the ball around, popping in shots from 30 yards. If Mane can do a bit more sort of one touch and shoot rather than sort of taking the ball on for that extra few touches, I think we should see a few goals. Tom, how about you? How, how crucial is Firmino to the next five games and what kind of role do you see him playing? Do you see him dropping off a little bit more when we're playing these tiki-taka type City and Napoli's, um, or do you see him playing that bit further forward, pressing City really, really high up the pitch, as with Napoli? Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It depends how many games he plays. To be honest, we don't we don't know how the um, how the fitness shakeup is going to be over the next five games, or how many of those games he's going to play. What I think you can say for certain is that he'll play against probably both Man City and Napoli. Um, we know how important he is to City's high press. Uh, to stopping uh, to high pressing against Man City. Sorry, we've seen that he's really really important in that game. So I would expect his role off the ball to be the most important role against City. And in that respect, I don't think he'll necessarily drop too deep because I think having him to sort of press the likes of Otamendi and the likes of Company, whoever it is, end up playing centre back for City in that game. Um, that could be really really important. Um, I could also see him dropping a bit deeper to sort of target Fernandinho, who we've seen. We've seen tonight, in fact, uh, against Leon is susceptible to that kind of pressing. Um, I think one interesting factor that we haven't yet talked about is the lack of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain in the side. Because, sorry to bring it up, Leanne, but um, because Oxlade-Chamberlain was the big, was the big, big presser from midfield, that's mean that Bobby's had to sort of drop deeper so that we've got a more pressing figure in midfield. Um, because previously, Bobby's obviously had to do a lot of his work on that front line so we've got pressers from multiple angles but when our midfield is lacking a presser 
I think that's where Bobby drops that a little bit deeper so he can press the defensive midfielders in a way that Oxlade-Chamberlain was doing previously. Um, Napoli game's going to be really, really interesting, actually. I'm very curious to see how we play that one. Um, I would imagine he'll play deeper in that game because I think Napoli are going to be... We're going to see... I think we'll see a lot less of the ball in that game. I think to an extent we can almost go to that game and maybe not play for a draw, but play a little bit more defensively and hit on the counter-attack, have less of the ball. Because we've we've shown in the last sort of five weeks or so that we're actually really, really good at controlling games without the ball now. So it might make a bit more sense to sort of go to Napoli with the idea of Firmino playing deeper, playing almost as a midfield player and leaving Salah and Mane up top to counter. Well, Salah in particular, Mane tends to drop deeper than Salah anyway, but sort of leaving Salah as the main counterman and then playing a little bit more, not defensively, but conservatively is probably the best word for it, knowing in that game that we could absolutely take a point and that would be a brilliant result. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure Klopp will do that because Klopp, te- in many respects, Klopp will never go to a game looking at it to play for a draw. I just mean that it might suit the game style to be a little bit more conservative in that game. And then, as I say, against City, you know what you're going to get from Firmino. Um, he's going to do that same role that he always does against City, which is press them to death. Because City are one of the... Well, even sides that are really, really good at pressing themselves tend to struggle against the high press when it's as effective as ours is. Uh, as for the other games... Um, I guess we'll see whether he starts against Southampton or not. I reckon he probably will, but I'm maybe not necessarily sure about that one. And he won't play against Chelsea in the Cup, unfortunately, for me and Julian as we're going to be there. <laughs> um, um, wh- whether or not he plays against Chelsea in the league, I'd imagine he will. Um, I'm not quite sure how we go about that one, to be honest with you, um, as is, I'm not massively familiar with Sarri either. But again, I think it would make sense to target to target Jorginho because he is the most important player in that city midf- in that Chelsea midfield. Sorry. So we would need someone to disrupt his rhythm because if we if we let Jorginho dictate the tempo, we're gonna get we're gonna get rings run around us basically. All right, Stephen, I'll give you the last word on this. Just a summary of of Bobby Firmino. How how good do you think he'll be this season? How many goals maybe he's gonna get? And just his overall importance to the side. I'm coming from side of Brundage's approach. We're gonna win the league. We're gonna win the Champions League. He's gonna get thirty. <laughs> He's going to get 30 goals. He's going to get play of the season. Um, and he's going to be the next Brazilian legend and probably the next striking legend. He's currently my favorite player since Fowler. So to me, that's big accolades. I think this is going to be the year that we finally get some silverware and he's going to be a humongous part of that. That definitely is a big accolade. Um, but we'll move on from there and we'll move to Tom's article, which is about priorities. So, um, obviously, as as I mentioned before, we've got a very tough run of fixtures coming up, which has already started. Liverpool don't look phased. They don't look like tough fixtures at the moment, but they are going to start to pile up. We've got a lot of competitions to handle in a tough Champions League group. Um, so, Tom, do you want to talk us through your article and your thoughts on the tough choices that Klopp has ahead of him? Yeah, the, the point of the article was basically um, we've got seven games in... Um, three weeks we're going to have to start rotating we're going to have to start resting players at some point um and we've got a tough champions league group um we haven't made it look tough yet um but we have got a tough champions league group you know we've got some tough games against uh i mean napoli and naples followed by city at home four days later that's an absolute killer um and then obviously we've got to go to uh got to go to paris at some point as well napoli have got to come to anfield so you know and even, you know, travelling to Belgrade's not gonna be not gonna be fun. Napoli made that game look very, very difficult because I think it will be very, very difficult. We are gonna have to be at our best if we want to go to Belgrade and get all three points. And we've got to balance that with the Premier League is the is, you know, the, the gist of it. You know, we've got uh, we've got Premier League games still to come up against Manchester City, Manchester United and Everton all after Champions League games. And last season we were hopeless in the Premier League after we played in the Champions League. Um you know, our, some of our biggest defeats from last season came after big Champions League games. Um, we lost to Man United, we lost to Chelsea, and we lost to Spurs all away, all after playing Champions League games. Um, and we are yet to see whether this Liverpool team has taken that step of being able to balance the two. Um, obviously, we were really, really impressive last night, but now we've got to go and back that up against Southampton at the weekend. Um, the Southampton game actually works, and it may, might not be the best example because Southampton played on Monday night anyway, and we're at home for both those games, so that would certainly reduce the effects we'll have on that game. Um, but in general, I think even now it's sort of easy to say, okay, we can get through to Christmas. We can do this, we can do that. But the back end of the season is going to be when we really start to feel it. Because if we, if we're still in the champions league, if we're in the last eight, last four of the champions league, 
and we're still in the Premier League title, we are going to have to make decisions. Otherwise, we're going to start losing both games. Uh, it was easy last season for us to prioritise the Champions League because we could basically we could basically let our league form slack. We won two of our last six league games um, last season because we were able to prioritise the Champions League. And I'm just curious to see what Klopp does. I'm curious to see whether or not whether Klopp thinks he has the squad to balance a deep Champions League run with a league title run, because I think it's very, you know, teams over the last decade have showed that's a very, very difficult thing to balance. Um, whether or not that means we have to sort of say, OK, we're going to Naples and we've got Man City four days later. We're going to send a more defensive team. We're not going to start someone like Salah and, or, or Mane or for me, you know, maybe drop one of the front three for that Napoli game and play a bit more defensively, play for the point. Or whether Klopp just says, you know, against Man City, we're going to rest someone because we can't afford to have someone burn out. Or whether we go and play our best 11 pretty much every game and then sooner or later um, something and whether or not we're able to balance that. So I think the question is, you know, I think sooner or later Klopp is going to have to make some hard decisions because I don't think the squad has quite improved enough for us to go deep in both competitions without having to make some prioritisation. And I just I'm just think it's going to be interesting to see at what point Klopp says, I have to rest players in the Champions League or at what point he has to rest players for a Premier League game and it ends up coming back to bite us. I think that's the question because we're in a situation now where we every Premier League game is a must-win game because of how good Man City are. We can't afford to say, well, we've got Southampton, you know, we've got Southampton at home this weekend. We can drop four players because we don't necessarily have four players to come in that are of, of the quality yet. So I just think it's going to be interesting to see where Klopp's priorities lie as the season goes on, especially if we do go deep in the Champions League. Like, and it, you know, it looks like we will at this moment in time because we've made such a positive start. So that for me is going to be the big question mark over our season because we do have to balance the two. And if we don't balance the two, we can end up losing out on both. Yeah, you make a, a really good comparison in terms of last season where Liverpool faced United, Chelsea and Spurs away after the Champions League fixtures and we lost all three games. And if we're serious about challenging for the title, which we should be given our start to the season, albeit early, you know, Liverpool look really good despite not really getting out of second gear. There's a lot more to come from this side. There's a lot more to come from the likes of Salah. And yet we've got maximum points. We've only conceded a couple of goals. Things are looking really up. So, as you said, you, you don't want to throw in the towel for, for the Premier League or for the Champions League at the moment. But there is going to be some some serious decisions for Klopp to make um, when, when the fixture list starts to pile up. Um, Stephen, from your point of view, how, how does Klopp play it? Because uh, as fans, we all want to see us lift the, lift the Premier League title. At the same time, that Champions League run last season was so scintillating. Liverpool played some phenomenal football. And off the back of that 3-2 win against PSG, we look really, really well set up for another good run. And there's a there's a balance about the team. There's an energy on those European nights and magic to them. And so sort of where, where do you stand on, on how Klopp plays it? If you listen to Klopp in interviews, whenever he's asked about this, whether it's the first season or now, he says he doesn't deprioritise or prioritise anything. It's always about the next game, winning the next game is going as far as possible. As you said, the squad looks a lot more balanced than it ever has. And though we are missing arcs, and that is a, that is a big miss, the balance of the squad overall is so much better. Um, Gomez this year stepped up and he's proven to be himself a first-choice centre-half. We've still got Matip and Lovren on the bench. And though we know they both have their issues, playing alongside Van Dijk, we know that they're serviceable players. And to be honest, the way that Gomez is playing, he could probably marshal them to a certain extent these days. Looking at the attacking options in the Champions League final, we have to bring on Alana, who's lost his pace and his confidence. Um, Shakiri, though he's not had a huge amount of minutes yet, he just looks dangerous. Last night, he just was popping up on the left, popping up on the right, harassing people. He's got so much pace, so much confidence. And he brings... He brings an option because we know he can come in from the left and do a similar job to Salah in terms of being dangerous. We also know against teams that sit deep, if we play him, he offers us a different option of someone who can shoot from 30 yards, can hit a free kick. If you look at Fabinho, we've not seen a lot of him yet, but we know he's a defensive midfielder who can play as a box-to-box midfielder. We know he's got pace, he's got power, he can pick a pass, he's an intelligent player. And Navi Keita, he's a long way off the player we know he can be. There's so much depth for players adapting. 
Um, Henderson last night didn't spend his whole time playing as the six. The three moved around, and that suited him a lot more because when we play games where he has space, he's a good player. When we play games where he's going to be closed down, he's better off on the bench. I think just the overall depth of this team means that Klopp can take every single game as it comes. He can say, who do I need to rest? Who's better suited to this opposition? If I play this player, which player complements them better from my squad? I think we're in a position that we've not been in since probably the end of the 80s. Like the, the, the depth of players of the squad, they may not always sound like world beaters, but what they can bring to the team enables the rest of the team to continue being world beaters. I, I completely agree. I think, you know, the, the depth in the team has improved. The only caveat I would say, which I, I don't know if Tom is going to agree with me or not, is that given how tough the Champions League group is this year, even Red Star Belgrade, they they won their league. They got a draw against Napoli. That shows how tough that away game is going to be. So there's not really uh, a fixture you're looking at thinking, oh, Liverpool can, can rest players here. Whereas last season there was like some Maribor who... You just knew Liverpool were too good for them. And then you've got, we, we've not even factored in the domestic cup competitions yet, which I'll come on to in a moment. But Premier League, if you're vying for a title, you want to go all in. You, you don't, OK, we can rotate. We've got the quality to rotate. But sometimes it can uh, cause a lack of momentum, a, a halt in momentum. We saw sometimes at points last night, Sturridge was fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but... Sometimes when you interrupt that front three or or can interrupt that the defensive picture with Dejan Lovren coming back now as well, that can sort of hinder the momentum, hinder the partnerships that are developing over the course of a season. And so that would be my only fear that if someone like Dejan Lovren came in for a cup game, he then played well and he was used in the, the Champions League game, then does that not stop the momentum of someone like Gomez and Van Dijk developing a partnership? Does someone like... Solanke or Origi coming in, does that potentially hinder um, the the front three building up ahead of steam? These are all just hypothetical um, uh, rhetorical questions, of course, but it, it's something to think about. I think that the key idea is, yes, we do have more depth than last season, um, undoubtedly. So we've got Shakiri Sturridge was, was really good against PSG. We've got the likes of Adam Lallana. We've got Fabinho, who's yet to really play. So we have got options there, but at the same time, as there always is with rotation, you have to keep up momentum. You don't want to see Klopp do seven changes in one game because then things start to unravel. I don't necessarily agree. I don't think we're I don't think we're there yet. Um, what I would say is that for all the talk about how Klopp's always said we take each game as it comes, we won't prioritise this and the other. That's that's shown. That's either shown to be completely not true or it's shown to have its own issues because the fact is over the three seasons where we've had over the over the three seasons we've not been able to balance from a Premier League title run and a Champions League run. Last season we were able to get away with prioritising the Champions League because we'd basically sewn up top four, but we still dropped points in four of our last six league games, either because the players we played in in the Premier League were too tired from having played in the Champions League, or because we rested half our squad. Um, in the Europa League run in in 2016 under Klopp, where we were really impressive, we completely threw the league. So I don't, and obviously our team's improved a lot since 2016. And I, I, I think in terms of quality, I think our team has improved over the summer, but I don't think it's necessarily massively improved in terms of numbers. Um, I think you look at the front three, there isn't that much depth there. Um, you know, if we've got Shakiri who looks a big improvement, but we haven't seen him play for us yet, really. We've seen bits of Shakiri really. Um, and we've, we've obviously got Sturridge, but how, you know, all the talk about Sturridge is always going to be, is he good enough? Are his injuries there? So I don't think, you know, I don't think we're necessarily as strong as, say, someone like Manchester City. And this is the issue here. If City's entire front three that were starting the game today were injured, their front three would be Sane, Aguero and Mares. That's that's an insane front three. If our entire front three got injured, our front three would be Solanke, um, Sturridge and Shakiri, And we'd have to say to them, OK, now you've got to go and beat Man United on the weekend, potentially. So my, my point here isn't isn't that our team isn't really, really strong because I love our side. I think we've got a really, really good team. And our team, my point isn't that we're not good enough to win either the league or the Champions League. But my point is that historically over the last decade, it's taken a peak Sir Alex Ferguson, peak Man United side to win both those competitions. Uh, and right now we're playing in the Premier League. We're playing potentially one of the strongest teams to ever play in the Premier League, Manchester City. And in the Champions League, there's a, a whole host of insanely good sides as well. Um, and I mean... 
I don't think the PSG team is net t- PSG game last, uh, against on Tuesday was necessarily the best uh, best advertisement for how good we can be against top Champions League opposition because PSG were woeful and didn't were tactically all over the shop and we're going to face teams who tactically and in terms of quality are going to be much better than PSG were so I don't I don't think the fact I don't think there's been enough yet this season sort of indicate that we can just wave away these issues that exist because these issues have existed for every Premier League team over the last decade. Um, teams like Chelsea winning the Champions League mean they don't finish top four. Teams like um, us us being able to sustain a really good Premier League run. Leicester City winning the Premier League because they didn't have to worry about Champions League while City were fighting on two fronts. Um, this is something that is going to keep happening. And, I, and my question, my point is just that if we're in April and we've got to, we've got to balance playing Real Madrid in midweek and then Chelsea on the weekend we are gonna run into trouble somewhere because I don't think the squad so we've got to say one of these games has to be the priority otherwise we are going to end up running into trouble in both and that's that's just the point I'm trying to make here I don't think it's necessary I don't think it's an easy solution and I don't think it's the case that Klopp should just say we're sacking off the Champions League and I don't, I don't think that at all I just think that you know Klopp has got some difficult decisions to make in, t- in terms of how he rotates the squad um, I think if you look at the midfield is the midfield significantly stronger than it was last season? In terms of quality, yes. In terms of numbers, no. We've still only really got five players. And Klopp was rotating those five really well last season, but it only took one or two injuries for us to suddenly be down to threadbare. And it, only, it would only take, say, for example, an injury to Naby Keita for us to suddenly have the same op- similar options in Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum and Milner when two of those players can't play three games a week. Um, so I think, you know, I think my point is just that we're a long way from having this perfect deep squad and I think we do have to balance it and I think that sort of saying everything will be fine we've got a team that's good enough to go and win both competitions just for me is is just a bit head in the clouds I understand what you're saying but having listened to a lot of the under pressure and fatigue and dex pods over the summer Cy Brundish makes the point that with the number of players we have the number of minutes over the season taking into account players typical um, season numbers their injury record, etc. He's convinced that with pre-planning from Klopp's team and being able to react to injuries within a certain amount, that we have enough minutes in our top players, we have enough variety in our top players, that we can get 50 games out of the front three if we need to, that we can get 20, 25 games into Shakiri, which is what he'll need to perform, that we have with our core 20 players, because we could have Real Madrid squad, Klopp would only play 20 players, he never plays that many more than that you know it's this you know, we know size the expert in these numbers and if he's saying that the team has the numbers to perform to the level we need to i'm inclined to go okay i agree with him and also that i just think in terms of rotation i don't think so rotation necessarily will be on we're playing this many games in a week, so we need to play this pl- player here and this player there. I think it'll be pre-planned and tactical. It'll be, okay, so when we're playing these three games in eight days, which players will suit each game? Okay, let's get their training schedule set up beforehand so we know we're going to start Shakiri because he'll be more suited against the team that sits deep. Or we, got, we want to play Hendo midfield because it's the team that's not going to press him. Or we want to play Milner and Naby and Ginny because we know we're going to play against the midfield that's going to, they're going to flood us. I think just the way that the team looks at the so far this season, with what the guys have been saying all summer, with the players we've got, I just think we're in the best position to have a successful season on more than one front this year. I think I think there'll be times where Liverpool have to grind out results, though, where we're not necessarily at our best, um, and we've had to rotate, and maybe the momentum is not quite there. We've not quite kicked into gear straight away, and we've actually seen that at times this season. You know, there's been periods of pressure we've had where We've not really looked all there, but we've we've been able to ride the wave, much like we did last season in in some cases, but also in ways we haven't really seen from this side in a very long time. Um, so that will be the thing to look out for, because that's what you need to do if you want to be challenging for a Premier League title or if you want to be challenging for the Champions League or, or any trophy, really. Um, so that's what we need to keep an eye on over the next five games or so. Um, as some kind of indication over potential priorities for Klopp because I, I do agree with Tom I think there will be some form of priority in his mind but he's not going to come out and say things like oh we don't care about this we don't care about that because at the end of the day he's yet to get a 
trophy as Liverpool manager. That's what he wants. So for him to come out and say something like, oh, we don't care about um, the, the FA Cup because we're focusing on the Premier League. Well, yeah, that's that, that's potentially quite true. But if he came out and say that, the backlash would be massive because everyone, including him and including the press, wants to or thinks that this is Klopp's big season to find a trophy. And if he doesn't, I think he's the first manager in a, a very, very long time not to do so in his first four seasons. So I do think there is some kind of priority in mind, but I do agree our depth has improved. But then you've got to factor in things like injuries and the the tough Champions League group. So as I said, the next five games or so will be the indicator uh, or the start of an indicator as to where this side is, what the priorities are, how we're shaping up. Um, so far, so good. But there will be rotation at some point. Um, and it, it's a case of where where does it come from? Um, and, and as I touched on there, the desire for a trophy is obviously quite strong, um, not just for us fans, but for Klopp as well. So I guess the question I want to pose to the both of you, and Tom, I, I can already predict your answer. Um, should Liverpool be looking to go far in the domestic cup competitions and try and get some silverware there? Because, OK, looking ahead to that Chelsea game, we don't expect there to be a the first team out. We've got Southampton first and then we've got Chelsea in the league, which is a huge game given how, how strong they've looked this season. But could Klopp potentially afford some balance there, some players uh, sticking in? Um, maybe in that midfield, someone like Jordan Henderson coming in, Jordan Shaqiri, uh, Sturridge. So still going with a, a pretty strong team, but also factoring in that rotation, given that we're hunting for a trophy. I would want, if I would want 11 players on the pitch against Chelsea in midweek who have no, who are not going to be playing against Chelsea at the weekend. I would want a complete rotation for that cup game, basically. I think it's it's the Carabao Cup. I don't I I don't care. I couldn't care less. I mean I I know that's I don't no it's not necessarily the fashionable opinion, but I would I would complete I wouldn't necessarily throw the game, but I would send out eleven players who I wouldn't I'd send out Moreno, I'd send out Klein, I'd send out Shakiri, I'd send out Sturridge, uh, I'd send out Lalana, I'd send out um Matip, I'd throw in I'd even give Car- I'd even give Minule a game to be honest, that's how little I care about it. Um, but I appreciate I appreciate some people want to win the domestic cup, but I think if we're serious about winning either the league or the Champions League, let alone both, then we we can't be trying to balance the domestic cups as well. We just don't have a squad that I think yeah. we just don't. It's still a that's still a strong team you mentioned there, though. Obviously the only the only issue there would be about momentum and, and potentially bringing in eleven players who have been in training quite a lot but not played together on the pitch for a while. So but the the names you mentioned there, Lalana, Shakiri, Sturridge, any of them, they're still quality players, and Chelsea, you you'd think would be doing the same. So it's not like we're we're going along and we're playing the kids, and we're we're not uh, we're not fully discounting the domestic cups. Is what I'm trying to get at. Um, Stephen, your thoughts? Would you like to see Liverpool lift a domestic cup, or does that not really do do much for you either? You've got to get the Premier League or Champions League in there. I think at this point of the season, I think what we'll see is we'll seven or eight starting players will be playing against Chelsea and the, the other players that he's intending to use. Now we're getting into two games of the Champions League will be the players getting minutes. So I think we'll probably see someone like Fabinho and Moreno or Matip playing and Shakiri playing because those guys need to get minutes in their legs in terms to give us viable rotation options. I think if we get further into the competition and maybe more so in the FA Cup when we start to play League One, League Two, lower championship teams, I think we will see more rotation. But I don't think Klopp will call it rotation because I think he'll want to give players like if he gives Camacho or Adam Lewis or Curtis Jones a start, he'll be selling it as this is an opportunity for them. And if he says that the competition doesn't matter, he's rotating, he knocks the confidence out of them. If he talks about this as an opportunity to see what they can do and play strong players around them, they've got a better chance of succeeding. Um, I would say that the League Cup and the FA Cup are a much lower priority. I think the Premier League is the most important thing, but I do think we need to get as far as possible in these Cups as we can because we need to keep making sure that players like Moreno are getting minutes or in conditions because if Robbo picks up an injury or picks up a three-match ban because the guy does have a Larry tackle in him once in a blue moon, we need Moreno to be fit to come in and play those three games if he has to. If 
Van Dijk needs to be rested because he is going to play 50 games, but he's going to have to have a few games out. We need Matip to not only to be able to come in, but also to have had a handful of games alongside Joe Gomez or whoever he's playing with, so they know where he's going to be on the pitch. And I think that, you know, Shakiri, we know how good he could be. You know, if you if you look at his stats for Stoke last season, you know, most chances created, for example, he can be an important player for us, but he needs to get minutes to keep fit and we can't rely on just him being in the international team. So yes, they are lower priority, but I don't think we'll see 11 changes. I think we'll see three or four changes and I think they'll be tactical about getting minutes into players who've got big games coming up around the Champions League. I think and that's I can, very good. And I get what you, I get what you're saying, Tom. If we were playing a non-Premier League team, I'd be like, yeah, let, let's literally put out 10 different players. Um, I don't think Mignolet should ever step on the pitch again. So I think, and I, and I got, I think a goalkeeper can literally play that many games. That's mm. a fair shout. I mean, I never yeah. want to see Mignolet on the pitch again either. I was just, I was just <laughs> using Mignolet as an example to illustrate how little I care about the Carabao Cup. Um, no, I, I think you, the point about keeping players fit and keeping players' legs strong is really, really, really positive. I think the other thing is, this was something I kind of saw last season, which was that, yeah, to an extent, we did maybe not throw away those cup games, but for example, with the League Cup, you know, we sent out a team that included Oxley, Chamberlain, Solanke, Coutinho, and we said to those players, you know, you've got a chance, and some of them were just awful. You know, I mean, if the if the if the second string, if the youth, if the players that we're bringing in, the likes of Moreno, the likes of Klein, the likes of um, Lallana, for example, if they have terrible games then that's, you know, they're not going to get the minutes that they need. And that's frustrating, but it's it's, it's entirely in their own hands. Um, but equally, I think the issue is here, we've got to kind of look at it and go, you know, with the games like that, we have to be playing the Morenos, we have to be playing the Lalanas, we have to be playing the likes of Shakiri, just because I don't think we can afford to play um, Firmino. We, we can't afford to play Mane and Salah seven games in three weeks if we don't have to. Uh, and we've got, you know, if we want to say we, if we're saying we want to prioritise both the league and the Champions League, which is my point, then we're saying okay, Mane, Salah, Firmino, maybe not, not obviously not Firmino anymore because he picked up his eye injury. But you're saying to those players, you're saying to the the Van Adams, you're saying to the Allisons, you're saying to the Van Dykes, you're saying to Robertsons, you're saying to Trent, you're going to play six games in three weeks. You can't then say to them you've got to play seven games in three weeks because it, it, it's just not going to happen. Even with, even with the fatigue index, even with the ways we've got to, you know, we've got to pick the games to. To rest players, we've got to pick the games to rotate players, and that that cup game is one of them where we're going to look at them and go, you know what, we can get everyone, you know, six days between um, seven days between Saints and um, Chelsea. We should use that, we should use that week to sort of gear up and get them ready for the three games in the next week or however we want to do it. The point is just, you know, if if we're if we're not prioritising, if we're not saying that this game is more important than that game, then we have to be in a situation where we've got to find a way to play as many of them as many times as possible. Um, so that's just kind of the point I'm trying to make there, that, you know, if we look at that Carabao Cup game, it's a perfect example. And Brundish himself said this. Brundish said, you know, send out the send out every drop, you know, rest everyone for that game, because that's the best way you're going to get, um, you know, the fatigue index to work is, to, you know, to pick those games where you can just say, you know what, I'm not going to play anyone here that I care about because like, the game doesn't matter. Um, and I think that's the way mm. you've got to do it. I think I think it's um it's a very good shout and it's good because we've got quite a lot of midfielders in the team at the moment even with um Emery Chan leaving Oxford Chamberlain sadly injured very very sadly injured <laughs> um Fabinho slowly worked into the team as we saw against PSG Henderson coming in and out so far this season Genie doing very well Milner could run forever um Naby Keita okay he's he's looked a little sluggish he's still getting used to the system um but fully expect him to kick into gear in the next few um games or weeks so there's a lot of options there anyway, uh, a lot of quality options. So we're not talking about um, like 14-year-olds coming into the team at all. Um, but I think we'll round off there. Two very, very good articles and lots of discussion there about uh, Klopp's priorities in terms of the Championship and Premier League, uh, Champions League and Premier League. We are not being relegated, don't worry. Um, and, and looking at Firmino and his importance. So we'll go to plugs. Tom, I'll go to you. For plugs, have you got anything in the pipeline or anything out already? Um, I wrote an article today on Mo Salah and why we absolutely don't need to worry because he's going to hit top form and score a bucket load of goals this season and he's a phenomenal player. And all this water bottle, he's having a bad start to the season, he needs to be dropped, all that kind of nonsense just can go away. He's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. 
Sounds good. Um, I've got obviously my report out from that PSG game, that brilliant win with one-eyed Bobby. Um, other than that, I've got a couple of articles that I'm working on, but probably going to take a little bit of time um, due to other commitments. But yeah, um, definitely keep checking out AI Writers podcast. Um, me and Tom really enjoy doing this show. Great to have Stephen on, and um, we'll be back next week. Podcast Network.